today. I am here to give you the assurance that I have not forgotten you. If we want to see the new evangelization become more than just jargon, if we want to see it grow legs and gain traction and change the world, we have got to take seriously our responsibilities as husbands and fathers and especially as sons of God. I want to propose to you then that something that our world is desperately in need of in the midst of this crisis is Catholic Christian masculinity. If you want to be a good father, then bring your children to confession with you. I can't get there unless I become a man of ascesis, a man of asceticism, a man of training. A man not doing penance, a man not disciplined, he's not a man. You guys have upped your game. You know what, guys, I gotta say, I, I love this the concept of man show. Warning, the Catholic Man Show is about to begin. Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side, so raise your glass. If you're watching on YouTube right now and you're like, that is a good looking glass. Look that, that is, glass. look at that drinking vessel. I thought you were about to say, that is a good looking sunburn. That's a no. nice sunburn. You are sunburned, yes. I am. Uh, but this is our Catholic Man Show uh, 16 ounce beer can glass. We're drinking beer this evening. Uh, it is etched with lasers. Uh, our, our Catholic mansion. You can't really see it on Yeah, I was trying to there, tilt mine forward so that you can, you can kind see, of see it. it, but you can't really I do don't it. want to spill it, But though. these glasses are awesome, and you can get them on our uh, yeah. a website. These are actually my wife's favorite glasses. Yep. Um, Funny. Dave, I'll let you introduce our, our drink. So we're having the... This is the brand new... The newest Bira from Nursia. Nersha, or you say it, nobody really knows. So it was people, lost in translation. Some people think they know, but they don't. They just have good guesses, like the rest of us. So this is these are the the Benedictine monks mm-hmm. from Nersha, mm-hmm. Italy, mm-hmm. Um, the this, birthplace of Saint. This Benedict. is exactly this is. Uh, no, Saint Benedict founded many monasteries, but this is like his main. This is birthplace. Yeah, and this is like his main monastery where he used to chill. Um, and they make some fantastic beer. They have a blonde, and then they're they're extra, which so is the blue label, the blue, right? Um, the blonde is very good, but it's nothing compared to the extra. So today we're trying. This is their new triple, which you're a fan of triples. I liked so the first time, you know, when I was diving into uh, like Belgian beer or especially like Abbey Abbey ales, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. if you want to call them that. It's like, oh, wow, these are so good. And then I found, like, oh, the double. One year for Christmas, I got a case of all of these variety of, like, different beers from different monasteries all yeah. over the place. A lot, most of them were Belgian style. And it's like, oh, the double. Wow, oh, that's so good. That's so good. And then I tried the triple, and it's like, gosh, I'm a, I'm a triple man. This, it's like, it was like discovering my birthplace or something. And then I tried the quad, and I was like, forget triples! I'm a quad guy! 
And then I was looking for like, where's the quintuplet? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to go to the eight. Where's the octuple? Yeah, where's the octuple? <laughs> uh, so, okay, we're going to try. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. Uh, we're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus. Cheers. And it's a St. Benedict. Yes. So the uh, uh, the best way to buy this is you buy it in bulk mm. because it's being shipped. And it is shipping, so good. Shipping is so expensive. So if you, you get a couple guys together, buy a case or, or even two cases uh, is, the, is the route to go. Well, is, the, is it $15 a bottle? Like Something like that, that's yeah. That's the price. That's mm-hmm. what it was several years ago, but mm-hmm. we've had a lot of inflation since then. Didn't know if the yeah. price had gone up, but I think I think that's about so right. You have to order a, you have to order a lot to get that actual cost down to close to fifteen dollars. Because yeah, the shipping is expensive, but man, they ship it to you in these boxes that are like pretty heavy duty. Well, you don't have a break. Yeah, definitely. So, but the the bottles themselves are also really nice. Like it's mm-hmm. a heavy heavy bottle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know. Like everything about it is very craftsman. We're going to bring a couple of them to the Catholic Man Show campout. Yeah, uh, along with our Catholic Man Show wine, which we have some developments on that. But I don't want to overpromise yeah. and underdeliver don't, yet. Don't do that. Don't do that. So, but we are we have some things in the works, which is exciting. Um, so yeah, the Catholic Man Show campout is a, is a September twenty eighth, twenty ninth, thirtieth, and then October first. Mm-hmm. At Clear Creek Abbey, you can go to CatholicManshow.com and check out the uh, some of the details that we'll be doing. However, um, it's opened up first to our patrons, and typically, if you're not a patron, you're just probably not going to be able to come. Right. So, uh, we'd love your support on Patreon. Not, not that we don't want you to come. Right. But it sells out very fast. Even if you are a patron, you got to be you got to be on your p's and q's, mm-hmm. and like. Be ready when we open up open up the signups. Yeah. So um, that's going to be exciting. Another thing that we have going on, Dave, this is somewhat new. This, is, this, beer, this beer is beer. so good. I'm also very thirsty, probably from being out in the sun all day. This is like, that's, you, that's have not, to be yeah. very, you have to be aware. <laughs> yeah. When you, Prudent when and temperance. These two things happen right. at the same time, and you realize, I think I might be a little dehydrated. I'll chug this beer. Right. It's like, well... Don't do that. It's 8%, by the I was, way. I was just going to say, how strong is this? It's okay, 8%. 8%. So, yeah. Um, but hey, so something new that we're doing, it, you know, this is the Eucharistic Revival, the, uh, year two of three years of the Eucharistic Revival. Yeah. Uh, we are, are putting together a class uh, that Carlo Broussard is going to put, uh, actually lead, and he's going to go through the Summa of where St. Thomas Aquinas talks about the Eucharist. And he's going to read what uh, what Aquinas says and the reject uh, uh, you know the objections and the replies, and then he's going to give commentary, exclusive commentary for this class and a handout for each question. There's ten questions. It's the uh, the book three, four, and five of the blue hardback set. I forget which how it falls um, as far as like which the, which question numbers. Yeah, I think yeah. it's like seventy four to eighty four, something like that. 75 okay. to 85 Which articles yeah. yeah um and so we're gonna offer that to all of our patrons that are uh uh 25 or i'm sorry ten dollars and up so if you are a patron of ten dollars more a month uh or more you will be able to have access to this um and, and we're really excited because this is like like he's spending out like now that carlo is now here in tulsa right which, uh, which is awesome which is amazing and i I work down the hall from him. Yeah. Um, he and I are like sit there and like talk about 
you know, this before before work because we both get we're kind of early birds and we get into work early. Yeah. And, There's not a whole lot of people who can beat you up mentally and physically. But he's definitely one he's of them. One of them. Yeah. Um, but but uh, we're, so we were talking about it and yeah. like it's just I'm really excited about how we're we've, we're laying this out. Because whether or not you have ever read Thomas before or you've never read Thomas before, it's really going to be a great way to uh, understand how to read St. Thomas and like mm-hmm. what and like why is he uh, uh, throwing these objections out? Like why is this sometimes like when yeah. we read it today, it's like why like what does this even matter? And he can be Thomas can be a little intimidating, but he's actually the Summa especially mm-hmm. is actually very easy to read. If once you just get a little bit of awareness of what he's doing yeah i think that know? there's a there's a pace there's a cadence and once you understand that it, it right it's but easier. there's there is ease there's an easy the easy way is read the question and skip straight to the respondio you know where he yeah. says i answer that there he's just going to answer the question for you um then if you want more you can go back and read some of the objections and the replies to the objections mm-hmm. um and and i think that's the fullest and obviously like that's to- where thomas is at his best is in the steel manning the argument right mm-hmm. so he's not just giving the answer but he's first coming up with good objections mm-hmm. to his answer right and and pre- presenting those objections in the best strongest form right um and so, so you know that's that's the brilliance i think of thomas but if mm-hmm. you just want if you're getting used to him you can just go straight to the respondio that's right and, and read it but if um if people remember when he did the class for us on the five ways which is uh, still available on Patreon. And that class is so amazing. I mean, uh, in fact, I was thinking, I was just thinking about it today, actually. Carlo really has a gift for teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, taking complex subject matter and then explaining it in a way that is easy to understand, which not everybody can do. That's right. Um, even some very brilliant, in fact, a lot of times, very brilliant people absolutely cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, he, he did Carlo, it for, Carlos, he is a real gift for it. Yeah, so we did the five ways. Uh, we spent like 19 hours, uh, basically, he, you and I, uh, un- unpacking the five ways of the proofs of the existence of God. But here, he's just going to go through, and it's going to be a 10-part series. So it's going to be like, I'm really, really excited about too, it. Yeah. It's going to be both video and audio. Uh, you're going to be able to use it on podcast if you want to. Uh, and the handouts download. he made for the five ways were also incredible. Right. It was amazing how helpful they were. So you know, if typically, you're... oh, a handout. I don't, whatever. No, no, no. You really definitely want the, when mm-hmm. Carlo puts something together, mm-hmm. you want it. So if you're really wanting to up your understanding of the Eucharist here, the Eucharistic Revival, uh, go give us a, a, some uh, a support on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Catholic Man Show. $10 more or uh, a month or more, uh, you will get access to that. It's starting here. I, my guess is we're probably going to start uh, this within the next two to three weeks, uh, releasing it. Very exciting. So, and again, 10 part series, uh, minimum an hour, possibly an hour and a half per, per class. So, I mean, we're going to have 10, 15 hours of unpacking the Eucharist of, based off of what St. Thomas Aquinas says. So it's going to be really exciting. Like that's something I'm, I'm going to like devour once he gets, you know, uh, all complete. And we're gonna have him on the show here pretty soon. Um, which is always fun. Yeah, I'm excited to have him on. Uh, when we get back uh, from commercial break on the radio, or if you're on the podcast listening right now, I'm going to let you know that uh, I went to prison. You deserved it. But I'm out.
Listen, I know this is going to be a tough sell for you guys, but humor me here. This October, hundreds of Catholic men gathered together from around the world at Estes Park, Colorado. Beautiful Estes Park, Colorado in October. It's going to be gorgeous for a five-day adventure dedicated to helping everybody build a better prayer life, forming up virtue and a life beyond Exodus 90, and having brotherly fellowship, getting to know one another, most likely over a pint. Join us, exodus90.com slash the summit. We're going to be there. Dave and I, we're going to be giving a talk. We're going to have a live Catholic Man Show episode there. Join us, exodus90.com slash summit. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles. Here with Adam Inahan. We're all by ourselves here in the yeah, studio. Oh yeah, Jim and Juan. No Jim, no Juan. We had more. Uh, we had more losses on the farm this week. Oh yeah, it was bad. What started off as a well, we were making light of it last episode, <laughs> and it's like really too much to make light of at this point. It was a. <laughs> It was. We lost three chickens last week. I made the joke about opening the fast food restaurant. Mm-hmm. Well, we lost five this week. We left. We were out of town for, over the weekend, and uh, it was just. We're down to three. We had thirteen. We're down to three. As a consolation, uh, I did get a rooster yesterday. Deacon Harrison Garlic here. Uh, he happened to have a handful of the exact breed of rooster I've been looking for. And so now we have a rooster. I don't know how much of a difference that makes when a coyote <laughs> shows up. Because this, this last event was um, not, you, not a bobcat. These were coyote, this was a coyote. So you got it on video? We, well, we saw the coyote running through the front yard. Ah, that the, the night like, that it, it, like 5 a.m. Hmm. So I think they were... We have an automatic chicken door. Mm-hmm. That lets the chickens in and out. So I think the coyote was there. They right, know when right uh, when the, the restaurant opens. Right, exactly. Right, exact. Yes. Uh, so anyway, just if you if you guys wouldn't mind like praying for our chickens <laughs> uh, through the intercession of Saint Bridget of Sweden, she's the one of the patron saint of chicken farmers. Oh, I also I have a devotion to her because I say her her twelve year, uh, 12 year devotional prayers. So. Which I'm in year nine, I'm like almost year 10. Of the second go-around or first go-around? What do you mean? Oh, yeah, I guess it would only be the first go-around. Is there a second go-around? Well, I don't know. If you just started over again. Oh, no, no, no. I'll, I'm close. In October, I'll be 10 years in to the devotion. Nice. My dad finished it. Yeah, he finished it a long time ago. Yeah. Which is pretty epic. Yeah, it is. So I went to prison. Went to prison this week. How was it? <laughs> Oh, you don't know about jail? <laughs> oh, you would love jail. You would love it. <laughs> um, that was just an office reference. Uh, yeah, so I, uh, Bishop Condorla, along with a couple other um, priests and deacons from the diocese, uh, went and celebrated the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass in, in the prison in Stringtown, Oklahoma, small town outside of McAllister, another small town. Um, so not a, this isn't Big Mac? Not No, it, but it's called the Mac, not the Big Mac. Little Mac? I guess so. I don't know if that's what they call it, but um, went there. Uh, it was really interesting. Never been into a prison before. Can honestly say that. Um, 
And you know, so you have to go through all the all the security and all these interesting, you know, security aspects of one door opens, you gotta go into the room, the door closes behind you, then the next door opens and then you get outside and there's you know, you see as you're driving down the highway and you see the barbed wire, like, bro, that's not regular barbed wire. I don't know if you've... It's razor wire. It's razor wire. Yes. Yeah. It's like uh, two, It's like a medieval looking axe, uh, little bitty medieval axes yeah. all over the place. It's razor wire. It's made It's made to slice you. Right. And like, dig in. You, it's not you, like... You might die trying to get through it. Right. And it is, man, it is gnarly looking. Um, it's made with razors. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's razor sharp. However, I will say, let me tell you, uh, it was an amazing experience to be able to pray with these men. Uh, it was really cool. So there's men there, Catholic and non-Catholic there, they, you know, just being at, at, at the Mass. And the ones who were Catholic, after they received communion, uh, they went back to their, like, it's kind of like there were, there were pews, but it was... It, not regular like church pews. It was a little different. Uh, but what they did, because there's no kneelers or anything like that, what they did was they would just, they turned around and faced like basically opposite way of the altar and used where you sit down on the on the pew as a way of resting their hands and they kneeled down. Like on the seat? Yeah, uh-huh. on the seat and put their head down and they were like just all praying there. No one told them to do it. No one, like, mm-hmm. but I just thought it, it was just so beautiful. Uh, how reverent they were uh, receiving the Eucharist and how excited they were. I mean, um, can you put yourself in their shoes? They don't have a lot going on. You know, mm-hmm. there's... And so... And and I'm not I'm not sure, but I'm guessing Mass... They don't... There's nobody to celebrate Mass very often. You know, I, and, and we they have... We do we have, have a lot of chaplains. Ministry, yeah. A lot of prison ministers, but most of them are lay people or deacons, mm-hmm. you know, and... Um, and praise God for their ministry, mm-hmm. right? That they're going in because they do. They those people do some fantastic work, mm-hmm. um, but they can't celebrate the mass, right? Right, and so well, it was cool. It was cool because several of them had never met a bishop before in their life. Cool, you know, and so they were like excited just to like meet a bishop. Yeah, which was really awesome. Well, there's a famous story here in the uh, Oklahoma about when Catholic radio was really. Mm-hmm. Taken off here in the state. Mm-hmm. Oh, about ten years ago, uh, the bishop started getting letters from people in prison saying, uh, "Hey, I heard your Catholic." And the people starting Catholic radio it had never occurred to them. Oh, the prisoners uh, are—they're going to be listeners, mm-hmm. right? He didn't even think about that, right? But yeah, they—they they are allowed to have a radio. It's one of the things, uh, even at maximum security facilities, you're very often allowed to have. Mm-hmm. So they were listening a lot. Right. They have a lot of time to listen. And uh, so we started getting all these letters about, hey, I want to become Catholic. Mm-hmm. And the bishop uh, one day went down and baptized like 11 people. Mm-hmm. Like this is, you know, like I said, about a decade ago, right when Catholic radio was really taken off in the state. But yeah. it's just such a cool story, you know, right. power of Catholic radio. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was really, it was really a, a moment that I really was grateful for the opportunity. And it just to to see these men and how uh, eager they were to celebrate the mass. Yeah, um, it was it was rejuvenating. It was joyful. It was really awesome. So it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, just wanted. To, I hadn't. That's had way better than my you. story. Uh, yeah, I'm glad I. Yours told is my about st- death, and mine's I'm about gl- new yeah, life. I'm glad I told my story first, right? So that we could have your story 
afterwards. Right. Praise God. Um, do you know if somebody is interested in like joining the prison ministry, what do they do? Do you have any idea? Just uh, you can contact me. Okay. Uh, from the diocese, just go to diocese, uh, dioceseoftulsa.org. You or can just, find my email like, there and just reach out to me. Okay. Because I've heard it can't be a like a, you have to go through a process. Yeah, you have to go through a process, like a class, and get like a background check. Yeah. And, I mean, this whole uh, this whole event was about six months of planning because I had to. Uh, you know, I had all this equipment, so I had to like name each individual piece of equipment that I'm bringing, uh-huh. and like you know what it was. And and I will tell you, I happen to know that depending on which prison or jail you go to, it could be a lot different. So I have a I have a priest friend who was going visiting a smaller town facility, mm-hmm. and he was in there in the prison, and only then realized he has his pocket knife on him. He made it in mm-hmm. because somebody's like, oh, no, no, yeah, he's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, and they just like, if you, down in this smaller town, if you know that guy mm-hmm. who works here, mm-hmm. he'll just let you in. And the guy who works there is um, only the best, you know, like, want, wants to follow the rules. And the thing is, he just expected this priest friend of mine, you've been here, you know the rules, you know you can't bring a pocket knife in, and just assumed Mm-hmm. you're not bringing a pocket knife in but this friend of mine realized oh crap and had to like leave real quick mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just funny you know? right it's like yeah. what they didn't even make you go through a metal detector or anything you know like yeah some of them don't it, this prison you definitely did yeah if you're, if you're anywhere med- close to McAllister, yeah. so if people don't know in McAllister, we have a maximum security facility called big mac uh by some in fact the movie Nefarious mm-hmm. um, took is set there at uh, what? Yeah, I didn't know this. I didn't see. I haven't seen the movie. I believe so. I believe someone. Hey, somebody, get on our social media or something and tell us that we're wrong. Yeah, it's definitely you're gonna have a lot of opportunities. It's definitely in Oklahoma. the The movie's definitely set in Oklahoma. Really? And I think the implication is at least that mm. it's um, at at Big Mac. Hmm. Because it's a maximum facility, maximum security facility. Tell us we're wrong. You're gonna have a lot of opportunities tonight. Tell us we're wrong. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that may be true. Uh, we're talking about the political ideas of Saint Thomas Aquinas. He actually had, you know, he's not really known as well for his political thoughts. Um, he's, you know, more of the moral and angelic doctor. Uh, but he has, he was a man who thought di- thought deeply on just what does it mean to be a human person, right? And just starting from that, and he allowed like that, those thoughts, that contemplation to guide him in morality and all these other things as well. So it shouldn't come to, uh, come to us as a surprise that he had things to say on politics, because obviously man is a political, man is a political creature, well, and didn't he uh, do commentary on Aristotle's politics? Did, didn't um, he do like he, he did? I don't know. I'm pretty positive he did. Yeah. So like that would make sense. I haven't, as well. I haven't read them. I haven't read that. I have not either. But I'm pretty positive he has. I, you know, he did um, the Nicomachean Ethics, and I think he did also the politics. He did. Okay. Uh, on commentary. Good. Yeah. So today you knew that I've shown you mine. Okay. Well, I forget things. Yeah. 
So, like, that's the thing about me is sometimes I forget things. Ooh, one other thing. As uh, we talk about this tonight, uh, so St. Thomas, one of the funniest things that St. Thomas has ever written, in my opinion, is the very opening of uh, his work on kingship. So we're going to talk about the political aspects tonight, but his opening paragraph of on kingship, is called De Regno, is hilarious, I think. Uh, and we have an audiobook of that done professionally that we have opened it up to our patrons. So if you go to patreon.com slash thecatholicmancho, another reason why you can support our show, you, you have, it's almost two hours long of an audiobook going, reading through by a professional uh, audio talent uh, the whole, his whole treatise. So we'll talk about this on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. We are going to the Holy Land, and we want you to come with us. Next year, during the Easter octave, from April 3rd to the 14th, 2024, for 12 days, we will be in the Holy Land. And we would love for you and your wife and your family to come with us. We're only going to take one bus. A lot of pilgrimages take multiple buses, but we want this to be an intimate uh, opportunity for us to pray together, to eat together, to drink together, to have fun, but also to grow closer to our Lord. So check out selectinternationaltours.com slash Catholic Man Show. Sign up today. Again, we're only going to take one bus, so it will fill up. Selectinternationaltours.com slash Catholic Man Show. We look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Sipping on a little bit of this Benedictine beer that is delicious. It what? is so good. You know what? I knew it would be. Mm-hmm. And but it didn't. It is not disappointing. Yeah. Um. So we're going to talk about the political ideas of Saint Thomas Aquinas this evening. Obviously, neither one of Dave nor I are a political philosopher. Um. How, no. However, like I, think I do have this book here. It's called. The Political Ideas of St. Thomas Aquinas. Nice. By St. Thomas Aquinas. Nice. Which is what... It the, is funny. I looked like, I wonder who the author is. And I was looking, I can't find one. Then I realized, like, that's because it's all St. Thomas Aquinas. It's, <laughs> somebody a, just compiled it there together. Is a, there is an editor. Yeah. Edited by yeah. Dino Bigungiari. Bigungiari. Yeah. Naturally. Bigungiari. We call him Biggie. Yeah. Dino Biggie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a half, Hafner Press. This okay. book is old. I mean, this is uh, sure. clearly from the 70s. Yeah, definitely by the, just um, the look on just it. Just the look of it. So mm-hmm. I don't know if Hafner Press is still around, but... Doubtful. Yeah. Anyway, the book, if you can find it, it's very good. It's just, <clears throat> it, it's just selections from Aquinas. So I think we should talk about, you know, okay, so we're talking about uh, man is political by nature, right? Yeah. Like as you're talking about, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas has a, a whole deal about, like, you know, the natural law and how man is political by nature. Um, one of the things that I think is very interesting that he talks about, you know, is that because we're, we're, we're made for communion, right? We're, we're built for a society. Yeah. Uh, and that family is like kind of the first political union, Okay. Um, yeah. You know, and then and then you work your way out, but you know, your family's not enough, and then you work into, you know, your your area, and then you keep working out, right? Um, greater, greater, and greater, um, and that that our hope is always in, and it also goes backwards that, you, you know, you've in, eventually once we like we've been studying the classics a lot lately, mm-hmm. like in our great reading group, mm-hmm. in our uh, great books group, yes, and. Um, especially the Greeks, 
they talk a lot about the polis, mm-hmm. um, the city, which is actually where we get the words politics, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, it's the city, and how you owe uh, this debt mm-hmm. to the city. So yeah, you, it's right that the family is the first political unit, and it goes outwards, but then it also goes backwards in that this the city is providing the place for the family to thrive, to thrive. right? And so. Um, you just you have all of this, you know. You owe piety, mm-hmm. um, which we're reading Euthyphro uh, here pretty soon uh, in our books group. That's, that's right. available for on patrons, yeah, for patrons, yeah. So you know, piety is uh, basically honoring your father mm-hmm. or or your parents or you know anything that has given birth to mm-hmm. you. So you know, it's proper to uh, refer to piety and and reverencing your country, your city, um, and so it, when you read these old works, they put a lot of emphasis on the the polis the city and what is the common good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and pursuit of that and it's just really really um fascinating and totally different from what we have as moderns mm-hmm. today in our political thoughts mm-hmm. um you don't hear anybody almost never almost no politicians talk about the common good mm-hmm. and the reason they don't is because they know that for most people that's an absurd notion uh, because we're such, we're so steeped now in relativism. Even though we don't talk about relativism anymore, it's just kind of or liberalism in the background. That uh, this idea that who could even say what is the common good? Well, he, no, we don't even have a, a sense of what is right and wrong, what is good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, and, it and just when you read these these older texts, it's so refreshing, and it it just points to like wow. This is the way, it really changes the way you think about my responsibility in a society. Yes, and because we are, you know, uh, we should follow natural law and that um, as um, political beings, you know, so we have a, a like the natural law says that we are, we have a creator, right? And so the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, that we should have hope in our creator, right? You know, and hope in that uh, he will um, sustain us, right? Because he says he will. Yeah. He, te- he tells us he will. In, in, and so, like, I, I was thinking about hope just uh, the other day. I was reading a, a little bit of Father Gary Lagrange, which I think that kind of actually he talks a little bit about uh, this, this political thought. And he has this whole issue with Mariton and Jacques Mariton. And, and Gary Lagrange is this huge political idea clashing. And he's talking, he's writing about, like, this idea of, like, hope. Uh, and what he says is that hope is not necessarily like this uh, Christian uh, optimistic uh, optimism. It's not like Christian optimism. It's not like you just like put a, decide to be an optimist and like everything that you do, you go around and just like uh, decide that everything is going to be good. And like, you know, you're trying to see rose colored glasses, the world through rose Christian colored glasses or whatever. Yeah. It's not like that because the Christian, that like optimists are like putting... Uh, their their hope in a future, right? So they're looking into the future and hoping, like, we're just going to hope that things are going well. But that's not mm-hmm. what Christian hope is. What he says is, is very interesting. He says that uh, hope is actually the future anchoring in your life in the present. Yeah, so there's, a, so, there's a difference. Hold on, hold on, let me, let me, hold on, let me, okay, yeah, just because I, I don't want to lose my train of thought here. So, so, yeah. so he says, like, hope is actually the future anchoring itself into your your, your everyday life. And this anchor is like immovable. You know, it's like, it's heavy. It's immovable. It's like uh, the, the cornerstone 
that you're, you're supposed to carry your life on. And like, what is this anchor tied to? But to the living word of God, to, to the Bible, to scripture. Uh, and so he's saying like, as we move through this political nature, uh, you know, and understanding like what the politics are for, it's that the, the politics and like how we govern ourselves is for the hope in Jesus Christ, who is our savior. Mm. Which I thought was just very, it's very, very beautiful. Yeah, it is. There is a big difference between having like, oh, I'm just an optimist hoping it's going to work out right. because that implies that things aren't working out. Or that implies that you're going to actually make it work, work out, you yourself. Well, or I, I guess it could imply that. But to me, it just says, well, things aren't good now. And that's not actually the Christian worldview. The, the, the Christian view is that things are good now and that God's plan is good. And like, I'm not hoping that things like work out, you know, like I hope they work out Mm because they sure are sucky now, you know, Mm -hmm. like, no, no, no. Like life is good. Things are good now. Um, And even in your suffering, even in your suffering. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That there's nothing. I mean, we can still desire things to be better. Easier said than done as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we can desire things to be better. And you, sh- you should. Lord, let me suffer, but on my own terms. Right, exactly. Just not yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, in fact, so I, I, in fact I just thought, if you could put all my suffering in the past, that'd be great. That would be sweet. So anyway, I, I just wanted to like, I thought that would, that would be a good launching point because I just actually recently read that and I was thinking like, well, that's actually a beautiful way of thinking about like the hope that we are in Christians. We have, we have hope, not in a political system. Right. Like we don't have a savior here on earth and it, as a political figure. That's mm-hmm. not the case. It doesn't matter yeah. what political system it is. It doesn't matter like what country or, or what time period. Like that's not what's going to save you. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about this today because um, I think Aquinas has a lot of views that the average American would vehemently disagree with. We have been trained. Right. We've been trained about some weird things. A, we're like lovers of democracy. Uh, which I think is a little bit funny because we actually don't live in a democracy. America is not a, a actually, yeah, we're a constitutional republic, not a democracy. Um, which I think Aquinas would say a republic is slightly better than a democracy, but uh, Aquinas looks very unfavorably upon democracies, uh, mm-hmm. which I think would shock. A lot, a lot of, people of people because you know, like I said, we've been trained that democracy is like the highest good. Mm-hmm. in in the world right mm-hmm. that there's nothing greater than democracy what mm-hmm. could be better mm-hmm. than that um so what i want to do is go through he, uh some of the different forms of governments that he outlines talk about which ones he 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 thinks about as being just which ones he thinks about being unjust um and then uh take what his view is his view of the best system of government and then talk about some of the pros and cons that you get because uh, he's he's no fool. He he readily agrees and and sees that no matter what system of government you have, it's always going to be subject to human frailty, to human sin. Mm-hmm. That like the problem is that humans are doing it, okay? Mm-hmm. And people are the worst sometimes. Mm-hmm. And if you get one of the worst people running a government, um, then it's going to be bad. And there's something about the worst people that really attracts them. To wanting to, power. to be to power, yeah, exactly. Um, so I guess we've, we've got enough time. So I'll just go ahead and get in into this. Um, but actually, let's let's do this first um, because 
I pulled this out of the Summa um, about whether Christians are bound to obey secular power. Okay. Okay, so I think this is a good place to start uh, because I think we need to first understand that whatever the system of government is, we have a Christian duty. Okay. Um, to render Caesar. It's, it, yeah, if we fail to obey the secular power, secular powers are justly and div- and I don't want to say divinely ordained. I don't want to put too, I don't want to come across too heavy handed, but um, that uh, we have a, a moral obligation to obey um, just secular power. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so he says on the question whether Christians are bound to obey the secular power, he says, I answer that. This is the respondio we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Faith in Christ is the origin and cause of justice. Um, wherefore, faith in Christ does not void the order of justice, but, but strengthens it. Now, the order of justice requires that subjects obey their superiors, else the stability of human affairs would cease. Hence, faith in Christ does not excuse the faithful from the obligation of obeying secular princes. I uh, fa- He okay. touches here once upon a... a the, the common good when he says else the stability of human affairs would cease right yeah I also find that a lot of things that he's built upon is uh, on authority like it's so important that obedience right yeah it, it's a virtue wouldn't it be nice right after you get up and you say your prayers in the morning you could check your phone and get caught up on all things that are happening in the Catholic world that's exactly what getthelope.com does go to getthelope.com Make sure you let them know that we sent you. It's a really easy way to help support the Catholic Man Show because the more people we send to getthelope.com for a free email, it's the only email that Dave ever reads. But by signing up for their email, you're also supporting us because they're supporting our show. This episode is brought to you by getthelope.com. Again, it's the place to go to get daily emails that recap all the big issues from a Catholic perspective. Go to getthelope.com. Make sure you tell them the Catholic Man Show sent you. Cheers. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles, here with Adam Minahan. We're talking about the political ideas of St. Thomas Aquinas. So we were just talking about how we have the obligation to obey secular authority. One of the things I started doing a couple years ago, um, which I have maintained for the most part, the habit of doing, tried to make it a virtue, is I was thinking, I want to be obedient. How, what, what's something I can do? The, the way you grow in a virtue is by practicing the virtue. What is something I can do to grow in the virtue of obedience? And it's like, well, I don't know. Like, You need something that's available to you readily, like frequently, that you can like, okay, I'm going to obey again. I'm going to obey. And once again, I will obey. And I realized I drive five miles an hour over the speed limit all the time. My whole like just growing up mm-hmm. to me that was the real speed limit, mm-hmm. and I said, uh, and this was like <laughs> something I did not want to do, but I wanted to grow in obedience. So I said, you know what? From now on, I will drive the speed limit. Yeah, it's interesting because we, you know, uh, uh, before the break we talked about how uh, human beings are political by nature, right? Yeah. But Thomas Aquinas actually makes a distinction here that he they're not like the the politi- when we say political by nature, we don't mean so far as like a like uh the essence of a person, right? Like, it's not like you're by nature this person. Like, sure. from a political aspect, he actually brings up, 
it makes it a we're relational we're relational by nature right but he actually makes the uh, a comparison of just like as in virtue that you have to experience it and make it a habit so too for po- for politics to be political you have to experience it and make it a habit yeah yeah so I it's think not especially like, when you talk about politics per se you know when we're talking about real politics you know right. how should things be governed yes that's not part of our nature the way the fact that we are relational like i'm a man and there is a woman okay like that is part of our nature for mm-hmm. me as a man like that i am relational with with, with women mm-hmm. that way okay and that's not political necessarily but politics is you know like pursuit of the common good for the sake of the community right so there's a, it does overlap a little bit but i'm glad you made that distinction that that's not like oh i'm republican you know right. it's, it's not like oh i was born a republican you know right. so that's anyway, yeah. i i don't know I, I just thought that would be a good distinction so anyway we uh we do we have obligation to obey so um here uh aquinas he he first he starts by listing off three what he calls unjust forms of government okay okay so um he says an unjust form of government when it's carried out by one man alone this is called a tyranny or a tyrant, right? If it's, mm-hmm. oh, you know, you can think of today we we have dictatorships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when when one man basically wields pow- absolute power uh, for his own benefit, um, then he is a tyrant. Um, if ruled by not one but several people, it's called an oligarchy. Okay, mm-hmm. so I think sometimes and he thinks that's unjust. He says this is an unjust form of government. An oligarchy is. Yeah. Now he has. All of these, he has a version of which he just calls it by a different name. It's like where, oh, not that, not that being ruled by a few people is unjust, but when it's unjust. Okay, so we're going to see that there's a, a different version. There's two versions of all these things. When it's one person and it's an unjust government, it's a tyranny. When it's a s- several people and it's an unjust government, he calls it an oligarchy. Um, now, this is like, you could... He's using his terminology at the time. I think today we would just call it an oligarchy, whether it's just a good or a bad oligarchy. I don't know. There aren't very many oligarchies, actually. Actually, I, I'm actually not aware of any. There might be some. There, there may be. I have no idea. But I feel like oligarchy used to be more prominent. In fact, um, it worked really well in Italy for a long time, where mm. you had the like the five major families in, mm-hmm. in Italy. And what they would do is they would take, like, I think it was three-year terms of being in, like, in power, and it would just rotate between these, these families. Mm-hmm. And nobody, would, nobody wanted to pass a law that would hurt, the, uh, like, hurt another family because they knew, like, well, hey, they're going to have the reins here in right. a few years. In, anyway, it was actually a very long-lasting government. Anyway, um, so if... Uh, Several people, it's called an oligarchy. He says this occurs when a few oppress the people by means of their wealth, as an example. And if it's carried out by the multitude, it's called a democracy. And so this is the opposite. He says this is when the plebeian people, by force of numbers, oppress the rich. Hmm. Okay, so he's like, hey, nobody should be oppressing anybody, rich or poor. The, the thing is, we should be pursuing the common good, mm-hmm. right? So then he, he switches over to, here's our just governments. If administered by many, it's called a polity. I've, 
not really familiar with that term. I mean, like, I, I know it's like, it's like new polity. It's like city, you know. Uh, but anyway, he says polity, like when a group of war, uh, a group of warriors exercise dominion over a city or a province. Um, and so this actually would be the the version of oligarchy. I think it's a. I think it's interesting. He he doesn't actually have a just form of government that is a democracy. He switch he he goes when administered by many, it's called a polity, and he uses the example of when a group of warriors exercise dominion over a city or a province. This is not like the people. This is a a small group of people. Okay, okay sort of similar. So in his mind, a democracy is always unjust. <laughs> Uh, or he certainly doesn't offer a just version. I think certainly you could have a just democracy, but it's complicated for reasons we'll get into in a minute because um, you need a virtuous uh, leader leadership body, okay? And it when you're ruled by everyone, the idea that everyone is going to be virtuous mm-hmm. is a little bit ridiculous, mm-hmm. okay? Um, so then he does say, give another version of just governments, which is a little bit, smaller he says when it's by a few men of virtue it's called an aristocracy and its rulers are called optimates never heard that term before but i think it's cool it sounds like maybe a transformer optimate prime <laughs> um and if it's by one man alone he is called a king if, hmm. if he's a just ruler so you have the tyrant versus the king you have um the aristocracy versus the oligarchy and then kind of the polity versus the oligarchy as well. Um, but Aquinas talks about how um, monarchy, like the best, like his, his former government, and, and uh, uh, Ryan Robinson commented on on Facebook, he's like, he asked if Aquinas liked monarchy the best. He did. Yeah, right. And he, But he said the best form of government is uh, a monarchy in which the king is a just king, and the worst form of government is a monarchy well, he would call that a tyrant. In which, yeah. Yeah, yeah and so let, we're actually going to get into that because he actually doesn't think it is the worst form of government. That's a, mis, that's a misnomer, okay? So I'm glad you oh, brought that up. Interesting. Okay? But he says, his next question is whether it's more expedient for a city to be ruled by one man or by many, okay? So he's, what he's saying here is that the aim of any ruler should be, the dire- should be directed towards securing the welfare of that which it, he has undertaken to rule. Okay, now, the welfare and safety of a multitude formed into a society lies in the preservation of its unity. That's what he says. So, you're shooting for the welfare, you want the welfare of the city, well, that lies in the preservation of its unity, which is called peace. Okay, Um, and I think there's a lot to be talked about, uh, but he says, if this is removed, the benefit of the social life is lost, and the multitude of its the multitude in its disagreement becomes a burden to itself. If you lose that unity, that peace, the multitude becomes a burden to itself. Okay. Okay. I think I think that's a lot. That's you could really ponder that for a long time, but I think it's I think there's some truth there. Um, so he says that the more efficacious a government is in keeping the unity of peace, the more useful it will be. And then he says, "What is itself one?" can be more efficacious what is itself one can more efficaciously bring about unity than several therefore the rule of one man is more useful than the rule of many 
Which is why he thinks monarchy is the best. Which is why he says monarchy is the, the best form of government. Okay? When, uh, when the monarch is a just and virtuous man. Correct. So now, to me, I wrote some notes here that it's like, are, are these premises true? I think that there's... I, I haven't fully... I haven't satisfied in my own ponderings that I completely agree. Not that I disagree with... Oh, come on. I'm Say, not sure. I'm not even sure where I disagree. Here, well, here's part of it. Disagree with him. Is that, um, you know, is, preser- <laughs> is the preservation of unity, is this the true measure of a good society? Okay? Because it seems to me that you could be unified around the wrong thing. What if you're unified in your desire to mm-hmm. sin? Okay? You have perfect unity. I, I, well, I, mean, I imagine hell is awfully unified in its... In its in a certain yeah. sense, there's a certain sense in its rebelliousness. Okay, now Soviet, obviously uh, in hell, okay. I, that's that's a bad. That's a bad it's example. an analogy. Okay, and uh, I don't. I don't the mean Soviet it. Union is was very unified. See, that's the thing is, I think you can be unified around the wrong thing. Uh, you know, the Third Reich was pretty unified. It was, and so I don't know. I haven't in my own mind. I'm just saying, like, hey, I think there's something to be pondered here. Is unity really? The measure of a good society. Well, it's not the end, it's not the ultimate end. It can't be. No, I th- I agree. But but unless he, unless you unless you caveat it in saying that uh, unity in Jesus Christ, because now Jesus prayed that we all be one. Yeah, and so that is uh, worth noting in all this. But not like but he was saying that we all be one, as he is the head of the of the of the body of Christ. Correct. So. On the other side, of, well, that, actually, this is the end of the episode, so make sure to go listen to the podcast where you can hear the, the clarification of, does he think that a tyrant is actually the worst form of government or not? Because it's not as... There, there's a, uh, a clarification. We're on the be, Lord's team. Made, the winning side. So raise your glass. Cheers to Jesus. Cheers. Okay. So um, the next question he does talk about is, that the domination of a tyrant is the worst. Okay, um, so he says, just as the government, just as the a just as the government of a king is the best, so the government of a tyrant is the worst. And I put in quotes here: the corruption of the best is the worst, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he, and he says a united force is more efficacious in producing its effect than a force which is scattered or divided. Right. Okay. So, so here's what he is talking about. And we know this because of the next question that he talks about. And he actually talks about it in length, but I think people skip over it. Um, the reason why e- sin is so bad is because God is so good. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. If God were not as good, mm-hmm. sin would not be as bad. Okay? So because the monarch is so good... It, its corruption is the worst. Does that mean that uh, living under a tyrant, though, is the worst form of government? He's going to say no. Not He's going to say not necessarily. Here's the next question. That it is a lesser evil when a monarchy turns into a, ty- into a tyranny than when an aristocracy becomes corrupt. Multiple people become corrupt. right. So when the aristocracy, he's going to say that when the now, aristocracy is he talking become, about though? Is this a, from a moral aspect? No, I mean, here? He's talking practically here. Okay, he's not talking about 
No. Mor- mor- so morally, I think he's talking more of a mo- in a moral sense when he says the corruption be- of the monarchy is the worst. Okay, because you're talking about you have the purest gold, you have the purest thing. Okay, and its corruption is the worst because you've fallen the farthest. Right, you you took something that was so good and you corrupted it. Does that end up putting you though in a worse place than other forms of corruption? And that's where I think he says no, because he, yeah, he's actually going to say here that it's better to live under a corrupt monarch than under a corrupt under a corrupt um, aristocracy or what he would call an oligarchy. Hmm. Um, he says a group government polyarchy most frequently breeds dissension. So a polyarchy is just a broad term for oligarchy, aristocracy, for the optimates. What you know, just multiple, multi-governed. Um, so the polyarchy most frequently breeds dissension. This dissension runs counter to the good of peace, which is the principal social good. A tyrant, on the other hand, does not destroy this good; rather, he obstructs on or the. He obstructs one or the other individual interests of his subjects. Unless, of course, there be an excess of tyranny, which I think is it's a phrase he uses several times, an excess of tyranny, as if there's like a, a temperate... <laughs> like tyranny? A, let's just, it's a moder... I, I practice tyranny in moderation, right. okay? But he actually, he's going to use this <laughs> phrase oh, over and over again, the excess of tyranny. Unless there be an excess of tyranny... And the tyrant rages against the whole community. Um, so what he's saying is that the tyrant pursues his own goods ahead of the good of the, of the people, but doesn't necessarily destroy the unity of the people. Okay, unless there be an excess of tyranny. It, like, basically, unless he's psychotic and just, like, wants to, like, wants people to suffer. You know, if he's just demented and just wants to, like, you know, just feel the... He just wants to make people suffer. Um, so, once again, the tyrant, on the other hand, does not destroy this good, and he's saying the principal social good, which is um, this idea of unity within the social fabric. Um, therefore, monarchy is to be preferred, is to be preferred to polyarchy, although either form of government might become dangerous. Further, that from which great dangers may follow more frequently is, it would seem, to be more avoided. So he's going to make another argument here that the, uh, the polyarchy is more likely to lead to corruption than the mon- monarchy. More opportunity. Right. And he's, he's going to say, and I think he makes a good, a good argument here, that considerable danger to the multitude follows more frequently from polyarchy than from the monarchy. There is a greater chance that where there are many rulers, one of them will abandon the intention of the common good, um, and then it will be abandoned by the one ruler. Because you have more people, simply more chances for it to go bad. That's what I said. Okay, so... Uh, He always... He's he's like ripping off your stuff all the time. Um, Polyarchy deviates into tyranny not less but perhaps more frequently than monarchy so when monarchy goes bad it's not like it's less bad is what he's saying but it happens more a lot more often this is the separate argument he's making okay so 
it's interesting that he's not actually saying that the tyrant is the worst form of government. He's saying that the corruption of the best is the worst, but he doesn't mean, he still says it's better often to live under a tyrant Hmm. than it is under uh, an oligarch system. Um, Okay, so let's pause. Good, yeah, yeah, pause. Yeah, and let's just talk for a second, not not read any more about Aquinas for a second. And like, I just want to get your thoughts on this idea of, because kingship to me is very hard for me to imagine, especially because, sure. um, you know, even the only like main king, like monarchy in England, you know, like, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just kind of for ceremonial. Pomp and, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's not real. Um, it's, they literally are nothing. They're not even head of the church. I don't think. Are they are they even head of the Anglican Church? I don't know. I don't know. I don't follow. You know. I don't. I mean, when was the last time the English monarch? I don't know. Don't get me lying. Anything. So I like. But what I what I want to know. I still like them. That's the thing. Is like I still like the English monarch. But are you? Were you? It's fascinating, isn't it? Um, I think you know. I don't know. I like. I don't. I I think it is. Maybe I mean a lot of people do. I don't spend time. I on don't. It, I don't care. But I think it's anything about the royal there's family. Something, to there be is honest, something. But... Even though, like, maybe some of them are schmucks. So, I, in fact, I personally, I think at least some of them are schmucks. But there's still something like so. But this is the so the, here. Here's my here's my thoughts on on this okay. on, on whole the whole kingship thing. And this is like, uh, I'm, I'm very open to being wrong here. But like I. I actually agree in some aspects on the idea of monarchy at the very beginning. Okay. It's almost like almost like socialism. Like socialism works really well at the beginning. Right. But here's the problem that I that I think history has shown and that, that I would have a problem with uh, with the monarchy is that once generations go it's not it, it, it's not sustainable because what ends up happening is that uh, there's an accumulation of wealth and power from the monarch and he then passes it on to his son or you know a uh, son-in-law and or whatever and then uh they pass it on and but the problem is is that those the people that it keeps getting passed on to become effeminate because they don't do anything hard in their life because they don't work hard so you're thinking specifically about a generational kingship where there's like a bloodline so that was a no, well i mean like the idea of like, okay, if we have, if we're going to do a monarchy, like if there's going to be a king, like it works pretty well. It's like, it works pretty well whenever, uh, in the first generation. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. Uh, so and then the idea that it wasn't until like later Europe that the idea of divinely ordained kingship came about like, oh, it's. Well, that's not true. I mean, that's even biblical. Well, but look, but it wasn't generational. Exactly. I mean, like, look at Saul. David was not part of Saul's lineage. Yeah, well, Saul kind of messed up. He did. But the thing is, we had to take over. God could have ordained somebody else after David. But after the Davidic kingdom, then it was. Right. But only because God promised it to be that way for David. Right. It wasn't, it's not like there's anything 
inherent to being a king, that means your son definitely will be the king. And in fact, for in many cultures, pro- the, the, the son was not necessarily the king. Yeah, so if you're proposing, though, that then uh, the king does not pass it on to his own son, I think there's even more issues. I don't know. Uh, I don't think that, that's that, an issue. So one of the things Thomas talks about, we'll wait to get into, but he talks about how provision might be made that the king might not fall into tyranny. That's one of the the things he talks about. I guess go ahead. So, but he mentions, and this has been the case, that um, there have been different systems of monarchies where it's like, hey, you're the king and you have a son. Well, your son is probably not going to be king because that's not how the king is determined in that political system. Um, I'm just not familiar with and that, it's, I guess. It's, it's like the great countries in Europe that they decided, my it's my bloodline, that that is what is important. It's because... I mean, even in the, ni- even in the 900, 7 and 8, 900s with, with Alfred the Great and all these things, like this is... I mean, it was even bloodline, bloodline then, so I'm not even sure, as an example, like what that would be and how that would play out. I mean, I'm... In the limited knowledge I know, it's been pretty much bloodline all throughout. No, no. A lot of it has been basically uh, strength. You know, like, oh, you have a son. Well, probably the king's son is going to die and somebody else is going to take over, you know. Um, Or or what it could be, there's also other ways it could be. That it could be that um, you have the people decide somehow, which... I think sounds a little bit like a democracy, but it's one of the things that mm-hmm. Aquinas talks about. Um, but he says that there are different systems, things you could do to prevent a king from becoming a tyrant. One of them is make sure that they is don't give them absolute power. Okay, that the king does not have the authority to do anything he wants. And I, I think that's an important thing. And why should... Okay, you're the okay, king. That would be like a dictatorship at that point, right? Well, I mean, most kings, I think, did have absolute power. You know, they they could say or do. Yeah, so see, all this stuff, like, I swim in the kiddie pool because I don't understand political philosophy and or nor the history but, of it. But a so king like, doesn't need to have, he doesn't necessarily have to be absolute in his rule. Okay. He could be, uh, you know, just like what we have, and it's like you have different branches of government that have different purviews, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, you you can do in order like give orders and you rule uh over this section. I mean, sort of like the pope is infallible but only with regard to morals. Right? Faith and morals. Faith yeah. and morals, yeah. Okay, it doesn't mean that he can come in and say other things and speak authoritatively. That Aren't well, that, he can, but not not. He can't. I mean, yeah, he, I mean, he can speak authoritatively, just not uh, infallib- infallibly. Well, no, he can't come in and say speak authoritatively on science, or he can't speak authoritatively on basically anything outside of his purview of faith and morals. Well, he can just from the nature of his office. No, but his but office, that doesn't mean his office has nothing to do with science. He, his office exercises zero authority right. in the realm of science. Right. Right. So, so as a like as a father, as a spiritual father, it's like not necessarily like everything that you say is under the realm of everything. Right. So, so like, go ahead. Well, I'm just saying that the king could be set up that way. Okay. 
you know, and if you're talking about, hey, we're a, a country, we're a poly, we're the, a group of people, because ultimately the the <clears throat> governance always comes from the people. So this is like kind of like, uh, I, like to me, it seems like we're kind of uh, muddy in the water. I mean, but like what like what it seems mm-hmm. based on my limited understanding of history my li- limited understanding of, of of government but like the uh the lineage of kingship has come from bloodlines i'm open to being proven wrong but like the limited understanding that i have it just seems like you know alfred charlemagne uh you know from all the way up to today like all these different kingships came from bloodlines again open to being wrong but what we end up seeing is that that the sons or the grandsons of this alfred uh, you know alfred the great or things like that end up being punks effeminate men because they've never had to work for anything in their life Mm -hmm. and they feel entitled to this and then at that point then the uh the, the the polis the people say like listen we can't let this this punk rule our land because he's he he's not a virtuous man and then maybe at that point that becomes a tyranny and then like there's like sure. an overthrow and things like that yeah um so again yeah and you're right there are a lot of examples of that happening over and over In and fact, over again i think it is most of the examples right and so so again my understanding Limited government, like I, I kind of wish we would have had some kind of political philosopher here on with us tonight because it, it would have been interesting to talk to him about sure. this or her about this. But um, I like I, I think that it seems that history has shown that monarchy is only a short-term solution to the polis, to governing the polis. It works yeah. really well at the beginning. Yeah, you're, and I don't know history well enough to c- give you an example of it being longer. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure there are examples of it lasting a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it was good. Yeah, and so again, and I think you have to also every form of government will fail eventually, right? There, there is no, it's not like there's a, a perfect form. Like, oh, if we had just done it differently, it would have lasted longer, it would have been better. So I think you also have to take into account the level of human flourishing that takes place while it's working. Right? Um, yeah, I that, mean... You know, it was good for a long time. Because I think it's, you know, in not all cases, okay, you have a good king, his son probably is going to be not quite as good but not necessarily instantly like jump to tyrant right that's what i'm saying yeah I, and, and maybe after like four generations you've got some, this but, is what i'm saying yeah 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 I, I i agree but so how long does that last four generations you know like a hundred years maybe longer right you know, but you i mean just, you, you, you see this like even in like pharaohs you see czars like all these like different words for kings basically right like this happens all the time like throughout history so and i then think you get and then you get bad kings and then their sons grow up seeing the oppression that their father is putting on the people and they decide to be a good king you know and yeah so again i think though that or or the bad king just gets killed yeah, and Which, we, that they happens. Tr- they kind of re- do a reset. So Aquinas talks about this. 
Okay. Let's just let's just finish up with what he says because I I do want to get to what he says. Here's how you could have a king and make sure and well not make sure but he says how provision might be made that the king may not fall into tyranny. Um, and so the first thing he says is first it's necessary that the man who is raised up to be king by those whom it concerns should be of such condition that it is improbable that he should become a tyrant. Now, that's so this nice. Is, yeah, that's like, okay. <laughs> and he, then he quotes some examples from like the book of Daniel about how like, it's like God, choos- God choosing a man after his own yeah, heart. Yeah, this is and, like St. Paul, like make sure you understand who you're ordaining before you ordain him. Yeah. That's a little bit different though because you can just not ordain him. This Like if it's the king's son... Well, what are you going to just not... He doesn't get to be king. They stall. They do a lot of stalling. Sometimes, sometimes you can. There are sometimes, I guess, could be done. Um, and so uh, then he says, if there be not an excess of tyranny, it is more expedient to tolerate the milder tyrant, the milder tyranny for a while than by acting against the tyrant to become involved in many perils more grievous than the tyranny itself. Well, this is the whole whole thing with an American, you know, America of like avoiding the, you know, the greater evil, choosing the lesser evil. Yeah. And he says, because here's why. He says, sometimes it's better to live under a mild, a mild, mild tyrant than to try to like, if you're always trying to strive for the perfect government. Don't you, let the, uh, the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah. He, so he says, if you're unable to prevail against the tyrant, he might get worse. You know, he might get really pissed Mm -hmm. that you tried to rebel against him um and also that even if you are able to succeed and you remove the tyrant well you may you may end up just fracturing the the nation Mm -hmm. you know and so you've lost the unity that that the tyrant even while a tyrant still provides um he says once the king is established this is back to how we can keep him from being a tyrant the government of the kingdom must be so arranged that opportunity to tyrannize is removed at the same time, his power should be so tempered that he cannot easily fall into tyranny. So this is that's one of the things. Like, Checks and balances. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, don't give him absolute. And I think that these kind of things have naturally played out in different kingdoms where you had kings, but you still had powerful like uh, dukes or earls. You know, like people who still um, they had their own army, so to speak. Right, and yeah. it's like. The king still had to play politics with it. He couldn't just command, and there's nothing you can do about it, because, like, you know what? Those people, actually, they're pretty powerful themselves. Right. Right? And so I think that that does give a lot of stability. Mm-hmm. Um, England, I think, did go through a period of having good kings for a while. I think that there was a, a, mm-hmm. a time period. Looking uh, at you, David Bates, maybe you can call us out. Yeah. He, would, he might know. Um, so finally, he says, provision must be made for facing the situation should the king stray into tyranny. So having a policy in place to how to remove a tyrant, I think, is also a strong deterrent for yeah. the king to become a tyrant. Well, maybe. Because if, you, know, you know what I would do is if I was a king and I was looking to become a tyrant, uh, like make that policy not a policy anymore. But, uh, but you wouldn't have the authority to change it. Okay, so he talks about... 
Well, if you have Dale Carnegie's How to Win, you know, Influence and Win Friends, you just become, you just, you know, uh, make some good friends, and then all of a sudden... Sure. So, um, he says, if, if, if to provide itself with a king belongs to the right of a given multitude, it is not unjust that the king be deposed or have his power restricted by the same multitude if, becoming a tyrant, he abuses his royal power. So, if your kingship is established by the people, whatever that looks like. The problem, the thing that I find unsatisfactory with with these things is that they're vague outlines, which are probably more helpful in the long run, but... Yeah, because St. Thomas Aquinas was not, like, known for, like, super practical things anyway. But often... When he talks about things, he does give practical examples. You know, even in here, some of the things we, he's like, for instance, yeah, you know, and the for instance is often very helpful. Sure, um, but he doesn't. He just doesn't offer that here. So he says, you know, whatever it looks like, however it is, the king. Mm-hmm. It, ultimately, it's the people who have put him into power somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, um, then it should be formal. There should be. Something that everybody knows mm-hmm. that, you know, whether it's a vote of no confidence from whatever, you know. Anyway, I think those are good practical things. Obviously, I don't see the uh, the monarchy coming back anytime soon. I think... You the, don't? No. The only way I see the monarchy coming back is if there's um, just absolute devastation and collapse in mm-hmm. um, cultures and societies around the world, mm. you know, where the governments as is cease to exist and you have strong, strong leadership rise up in, and in order to guide the city through turbulent times. So I like, again, political philosophy is not my game. Yeah. Right. I swim again in the, I'm barely allowed in the kiddie pool of political philosophy. Okay. Me. Well, me too. But both of us, but I would say, that this genre or this area is the space that I have the most issues with St. Thomas Aquinas. Okay. Like, if I had to pick something that I like, what what could I possibly disagree with with St. Thomas Aquinas? It would be the monarchy. I think I think it would be. So... His, I, 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 think, I, think, I think I think the way he he thinks and understands the way uh, to govern the polis. I think in general, I think I don't know if I agree with. Well, I think that there's a good question of because whether whether it would practically be successful today if it's actually re- if it's actually a reality. Like because here's the deal: you have a virtuous group of people or a virtuous man uh, running some form of government. It's gonna it's gonna do well for a while. Gonna do well. The problem is, like, you don't just get to pick virtuous men from a tree, right? You don't get to like just or go a bush or a bush or wherever else or an ocean, you right? Don't get, you don't get to pick like, them from anywhere. Th- they don't like that doesn't happen. Yeah, um, and so I think like thing that I I think I would not disagree with, but like I have like the most pushback or or. So let me ask you this, okay? I think you see his his line of his logic. Yeah. Do you disagree with his logic? 
I don't know. I don't think I would disagree necessarily with this logic. Because that's that's the problem. And Aquinas is this way, not just here, but sometimes other in other areas where it's like, you know what? I think that's wrong. The way that you got here, I can't disagree with. But, but somehow it's just like that's not the way it works, man. But I don't like yeah because I don't think uh, the Adam, reality is maybe it is the way it works. But because I don't think the reality is that you can sustain a virtuous king for for very long. Yeah. So I think like in practice or like in principle, sure. Yeah, this is the best way to go. So okay, let me ask you a follow up question to that. Do you think you can sustain a virtuous other form of government for longer? Yes. What is it? I I, I don't know that I don't know exactly, but I know that. Uh, well, so my, here's my here's a, a raw. This is raw takes, right? You have you we've not prepped for this in any way, shape, or form. Sure. But the thought process that I have is that it's easy to corrupt one quickie quickly. It's harder to corrupt a whole quickly. So if you have a handful of people that are all virtuous and one starts becoming unvirtuous, like he's a cancer and he's going to eat into the whole. But it may not be as fast as the one. And so uh, I think like that could be a, a rebuttal. Yeah, I think that's uh, an argument. I, I don't know that it's necessarily easy to corrupt one. It depends on the one, obviously. And that's the kind of thing, that's part of your argument, is right. that, well, it really depends on who it is. Right. Um, and and Thomas agrees with that, you know, and he, he, he goes on to say other stuff that we don't have to get into about how, um, obviously, all of these forms of government are treacherous. It's been a long time it's since we... It's just so hard for me to imagine living under a king. And what does that mean? Well, and, in, for moderns, this is a very tough thing to even talk about, right? Because we don't have, like, the imag- our imagination is not even conducive to understanding these principles. For instance, like, do you still have courts? Do you still have judges? I mean, obviously the king is not, you know, because when you read the Old a, Testament, the king would sit and hear cases. So he was also the judge, you know... Um, when Absalom tried to make a run at David's throne, mm-hmm. the very first thing he did was sit outside the palace with like a, a whole bunch of people behind him to make him look important, right? And and say, hey, uh, oh, I'll hear your case. And so he started arbitrating for the people right. in order to win their hearts. It was actually a, a brilliant idea. It is. I mean, a lot of things that Absalom did were very, very smart. And in fact, before he tried to usurp David. Uh, he was kind of the only one doing anything right. Doing a good job, yeah. Yeah, like he was the one caring for his, caring for David's you know family. Thank and, you, Exodus 90, for like walking through yeah, this. Yeah, all of this is, yeah, because of the Exodus. Like, I, I know this because right. I've been doing it with Exodus 90. Yeah. Uh, but under a king, do you still have, cor- I mean, you you must. Because uh, obviously, if there was a king of the United we're, like, States. We're, I'm not, like, I'm not interested in like, or I just don't, want to talk about things I have no idea about. But the thing is... It's been a long time. Okay, I've read read enough stories, enough literature. Like, um, I don't think you've read uh, Kristen Lovren's daughter, but... No. And there are... I have not read through that slog. Okay, but I know you're familiar with, uh, like, The Last Kingdom. 
Right. Okay, so you'd get a set up as a king, mm-hmm. and like, what's kind of the difference between being a king and just like the governor, or what? It's like, oh well, kind of nothing. And you might be the king of this little area, and there's another king of this little area, and there might be a high king over everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, like, just because you are a king doesn't mean that you can afford to be a tyrant. No, I agree. Yeah, I totally. You agree. know, so. Um, and at the end of the day, if you are, the people are going to kill you. You know, it wasn't until you got into like the more, cause, all right. Cause I know you've read the last kingdom, but it's like picture smaller, smaller groups where you have smaller kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Um, if you try to tyrannize like those people, mercy, Mercia, let's just say hypothetically Mercia. Right. Okay. Versus Northumbria. Sure. Or, yeah. Hypothetically. Yeah. If you try to be a tyrant mm-hmm. in a very small area, mm-hmm. they're just going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Or, or they're just going to say, like, whatever. And, and, like, all of a sudden, you're just, you find yourself absolutely powerless because the people just don't listen to you. They rise. Right. And so I think that there are a lot of things you can do. In my opinion, okay. small government is always better at pursuing the common good. Small government is not always better at pursuing like financial gain. It's not always, you know, like obviously there is a benefit. There are some things that larger government is better at doing when it comes to like international commerce or like large economies. Okay. Um, One of the reasons why America has... Defense. Yeah. Yeah. Raising a large military. It's a great example. One of the reasons why America has become the international superpower over the last like 150 years is because, well, we're big and back to back world champs. Yeah, that's world right. War champs. Okay, that's right. But if we were broken up, like imagine every state being its own country, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be nearly as formidable. Look at Europe. Right. Okay. So um, if, we, if we do, never mind. I'm but but I think we we need to ask ourselves, especially as Catholics, is Mm. what are the goods we should be pursuing as a people? Mm. Is it financial success? I think financial success is on the table. It's something that like we're not going to ignore. Sure. Um, And I, but I don't think that's that's not the highest good. Hierarchy is a good baby, right? And so when you get and when you get the goods out of order, take that new theology. You get disordered you know i agree so anyway anyway whatever the forms of government are i think smaller government is inherently better than large government bro it has been a long time since the catholic man show has just like riffed off of a a topic that we don't really know a whole lot about but we're just gonna like just see what happens it's been a while it has been a while Uh, so hey before we before we get off because like i was thinking about this and i heard this either on like maybe god's planning podcast or like uh, an article that I read, I'm not sure where, so okay. I, I I don't know where to credit this, um, and I apologize. Okay, I forgive you. Thank you. Um, but I do remember there's like three ways in which you're able, as a citizen, uh, to not obey a law, because you like you were talking about like I, I'm obeying the speed limit, and like people who, are, who have scrupulosity, they're always like. Uh, I've been told that like that's not a sin and like you know there's like people who are scrup- scrupulous think that it's absolutely a sin. Well, there's like yeah, I mean there's like anyway. And I think it is a sin to just willingly speed. 
I'm it's not grave matter. <laughs> well, I think it well, depends. It depends on how, how fast, fast you're going. Yeah. yeah. If you like, so I used to drive five over. I think driving five over the speed limit is not grave matter. However, uh, we do have an obligation. It's it is a just the speed limits are just laws. So we, we do have to follow them at you times. Know? So here, <laughs> at, at times. So here, here, here are the three things. And so, are you going to tell me when the speed limit is not a just law? Yes. Okay. Good. Um, I'm excited. So the first thing is that if it's an unjust law, sure, you have, you're not uh, morally ob- obliged to follow it. And do you know like would you, like what are the criteria? How do we know if it's an unjust law? Uh, I don't. I, I, I don't want to define that. Well, one one of the things would be that if it violates the divine law. Yeah. That's that's an easy one. Yeah, obviously. I, I don't know because I'm, I'm sure there's there there are other reasons, right? Um, but like if it if it if, I don't have, if, I don't it's, have if it's a mortal sin and the state is is calling you Actually, in, in which to, to to do so. Yeah, like you, you you're like this is what martyr, martyrs are made of, right? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so the first one is that. The second one is that is that the law was established and if the lawmaker would have known that by establishing this law so he he establishes a law and he does not foresee the the negative outcomes in which this law is being uh like enforced so like let's say he uh, the traffic guy the the mayor decides like we're going to put a, a stop sign right here and he thinks it's a good idea like the the, the consensus is, is this is a good idea we need a stop sign right here and not until the thing actually takes place and like they put the stop sign there and they realize this is a terrible spot they can't see the stop sign uh, they're flying past it and it's creating a bunch of wrecks right like it's creating like uh, like you're slamming under brakes you're getting rear-ended you're get, like everybody's getting rear there's like like there's a lot of issues with this law. The lawmaker was was not intending on it on that the case being yeah. the case. Um, so it's not necessarily an unjust law, in like in the principle because that wasn't that wasn't the thought, but that it is mm-hmm. um, in practice. Yeah, and so uh, so that so you're allowed to you're, you're allowed to break that. So you're allowed to fly through the stop sign. Um, Maybe that's not the best example. Example, but uh, yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm coming up with an example. I think off it top. does prove, like, show that, like, oh, this is an, un- there's an unintended consequence here that was unforeseen, right? And so, like, and the unintended consequence is worse than the, th- than, than the, the thing, thing that they were trying to avoid, to prevent. right? Right. That is exactly right. Okay. Um, and then the last one is, is that your state in which uh, you are uh, living is more important than the law. So, so like your wife is ha- is, is, is having pregnant. a baby and you need to get to the hospital right now. And now you can obviously you can there within reason mm-hmm. within reason you can't just drive as fast as you as you want. Right, but within reason like uh you can you can go 70 miles an hour down a 45 maybe depends on the road. Yeah. Because if you're going to if you're putting other lives at risk. Well, yeah, so what you do is you you also call nine one one and be like, "Hey, listen, my wife's about to." Right, I, I think that's the more prudential thing. Is like, right. instead of instead of speeding down the road now, like sometimes you might find yourself like, "Hey, this guy's arm got chopped off in a machinery accident, and right. if we wait for nine one one, he's gonna bleed to." You know, I don't know. Right. There's yeah. a there's a situation you can right. come up with it. 
Um, so I think those are the three. Like, but remember, our, du- our duty to the to the polis mm-hmm. is actually higher than our duty to ourselves. Right. Okay. We actually owe them a higher degree of justice than what we owe to ourselves. Okay. So, um, if our own life is at stake. We can't put other lives at stake in order to save our own, because we that is putting the common good at risk. Mm-hmm. In order, just to, like the good of the whole is more important than the good of the one. Um, which is what what Cephas said, Caiaphas said. Well, yeah, he did. It's better that one man should die, uh, than than the whole than everybody to suffer. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. Yeah. So, so way, way to do that. Like, so this is like a what way was, to go, bro. What was the uh, Socratic dialogue where? Do you remember uh, where, where he was talking about? Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and die. Where he dies? Where's what's the last one? The apology. The apology is that what it is? I, I can't remember. Uh, where Socrates dies? Yeah. 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 Okay. I think so. So anyway, that's like a big. That's the big theme, and that's a great book. Yeah. When we read that one together, yeah, it really opened my mind. I, I really and hated, made me really think a lot about. I really hate what the, does it mean to be a hey, citizen? You should join us on the Euthyphro. We're doing it August eighth at night, eight p.m. Oh, really? All right, maybe I can. You should do it. Okay. You haven't you haven't done any of them. You I should. Know. You should. You well, because you've been doing them real early. Yeah, six forty-five. Yeah, but. I mean that's that's actually if I would if I would do it you, during during you get up earlier than me and so I have to decide am I going to pray or am I going to do the book the book study well that is a false dichotomy it is my dichotomy it's it's my real dichotomy it's not false it's real <laughs> um okay I'll I'll, I'll try you, sh- you should try you should I'll, like let me look at my my schedule because that would be a lot of fun to my, have you on my schedule all right I don't think I have anything else. I mean, how long was this episode? Quick, turn it off.